Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Denver, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, worship pastor Aaron Ivey, who's also the husband of popular podcaster Jamie Ivey, was fired from his church after church leaders found evidence of explicit text messages with other men. At least one of them was a minor. We'll have some details. Also, Abilene Christian University in Texas recently reviewed its sexuality policy in response to pushback from students and alumni, and they came back with a decision. We'll take a look. We also have information about the shooting uh, at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston. And finally, Bible Study Fellowship has announced a big move from San Antonio to Dallas. We'll have details. We begin today with news that another woman has come forward alleging Mike Bickle, the founder of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, abused her back in the 1980s when she was a teenager. This latest accusation against Bickle came to light when the Kansas City Star ran a story about Tammy Woods, who claimed to be the Bickle family babysitter back in the 1980s when Bickle was a pastor in St. Louis. Woods said she met Bickle at church and their relationship quickly grew from a mentorship to an emotional affair. Woods said the relationship grew physical when she was 14 and he was 25 years of age. Now, have the two been in contact at all more recently? Well, Wood said that she texted with Bickle when the first wave of allegations against him became public back in October of 2023. In that text exchange, she said that Bickle told her, I know you said this over the years that you have forgiven me, but I just want to say it again. Please forgive me. I was clueless. I could have gone to jail. Now, as IHOP responded to all of this. Well, IHOP did release a statement last week strongly condemning Bickle and his actions. It said in part this, We believe that Mike Bickle sexually abused and manipulated Jane Doe and Tammy Woods, who was a minor at the time. His predatory and abusive actions are sick and violate the Word of God, the marriage covenant, and holiness. We condemn them in their entirety. The church has also cut off the live stream feed for its 24-7 prayer room that has up until now sort of defined the church and what it's been about. And they say that the church is entering a season of prayer and repentance. Bickle has not publicly responded to any of Wood's accusations. Our next story is also on a pastor caught up in misconduct. The Austin Stone Church, which is a prominent multi-campus evangelical church in Austin, Texas, announced on Sunday that it had dismissed Aaron Ivey, the pastor of worship and creativity, and also an elder at the megachurch, after discovering that he had engaged in inappropriate and explicit ongoing text messages with an adult male. After firing Ivy, the elders said they had discovered that Ivy, the husband of best-selling author and popular podcaster Jamie Ivy, had a history of texting with men, including one who had been underage at the time of the explicit texts. 
the statement said, since the firing, we've uncovered multiple similar instances with different individuals dating back to 2011 that show a very clear pattern of predatory manipulation, sexual exploitation, and abuse of influence. The first known instance, which took place with a teenage male victim and continued over time, involved inappropriate and explicit communications, indecent exposure, and the use of alcohol and illegal substances. Now, how has the church responded? Well, a spokesperson for the church, which has so far up till now been affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, declined to offer additional comment on the allegations or Ivy's termination. The statement that I just quoted from also said that Ministry Safe, which trains church staff to prevent child abuse, has been alerted about the situation. Aaron Ivy himself has not responded to multiple requests for comment. Let's move on to our next story. This one relates to Willow Creek Church. Willow Creek Community Church will be shutting the doors of its downtown Chicago location due to growing financial insecurity, the senior pastor announced via video last week. Uh, the non-denominational megachurch first opened that location in April of 2018 on South Street near Grant Park in the heart of Chicago. However, the campus will host its final service February 25th before closing permanently. Willow Creek blames the economy and growing interest rates for its financial situation, but most observers also blame the abrupt resignation of Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of Willow Creek, also in April of 2018. Hybels stepped down amid a series of sexual misconduct claims against him, all of which he claims are false. David Dummett, the pastor, praised the Chicago staff for cultivating a beautiful, multi-ethnic, growing congregation and reassured his congregation that no other locations are going to close down. Well, our last story before the break sheds some good news for a Ohio pastor who was criminally charged for his efforts to shelter the homeless. The pastor of Dad's Place in Bryan, Ohio, Pastor Chris Avell, was criminally charged with 18 counts of zoning violations on New Year's Eve because he opened the first floor of his church in a business district to allow homeless people to escape from the cold. The city has agreed to drop the criminal charges while Dad's Place ceases residential operations and seeks proper building certifications and zoning permits for the operations that it plans to pursue. According to First Liberty, which is a public interest law firm that had defended uh, the church on religious liberty grounds. Bryan's mayor, Carrie Schlade, said that the city of Bryan appreciates the willingness of Dad's Place to work with the city to resolve the party's differences amicably and to ensure that the services provided by Dad's Place are delivered in a safe manner. Avel expressed his gratitude for the many who've been praying for him. And he said, Brian is my home and I'm eager to continue to serve God, my community and the people I love. On January 22nd, Avel filed a federal lawsuit against the city of Bryan, seeking a temporary restraining order to keep the city from shutting down Dad's Place, the 24-7 shelter. The lawsuit claimed that the city's actions violated the church's religious freedom and equal protection rights under the Constitution. And let's take a short break. When we return, shots fired at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church on Sunday. Police release information about the shooter. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. 
Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, It's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating uh, as an independent investigator, uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is a story we promised before the break, and that's on Sunday, a 36-year-old woman stormed Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, and opened fire. Janice Yvonne Moreno, 36 years of age, entered Joel Osteen's crowded Lakewood Church on Sunday and opened fire. Two off-duty officers who were in the crowd working as security guards confronted Moreno and returned fire, which led to her death. The officers' actions, police said, averted what could have been a much bigger tragedy. Before she was killed, Moreno allegedly said she had a bomb and, according to the warrant, Uh, though no explosives were found. Was anyone else injured? Uh, Two other people were shot and wounded, including a seven-year-old boy who had entered the church with Moreno. The child, identified on Monday as the shooter's son, was taken to the hospital in critical condition, and a man was also shot in the leg. Do we know any reason for the attack? Well, law enforcement officials said that Moreno's gun had the phrase Free Palestine written on it. Authorities said that they believed that there was a familial dispute between Moreno's ex-husband and his family, some of whom are Jewish. Anti-Semitic writings were found in a search of items belonging to the shooter. Now, what do we know about the shooter? Well, Moreno has a long criminal history dating back to 2005, a total of six arrests. Her rap sheet includes charges of assaulting a public servant, an assault causing bodily injury, forgery, possession of marijuana theft, evading arrest, and unlawful carrying of a weapon. All this according to the Texas Department of Public Safety. In 2016, Moreno was found to have mental illness and placed under the under an order for emotional detention, meaning police officers had taken her to a medical facility because she was deemed a danger to herself or to others, according to authorities. Our next story involves the faith-based Super Bowl ads. For the second year in a row, Jesus made an appearance uh, during the Super Bowl, or at least the name of Jesus did. The Christian Savior was featured in a pair of ads during the big game, along with the tagline, He Gets Us. Those ads, one ran in the first quarter and the other one in the second half, are part of a huge ad campaign aimed at redeeming the Jesus brand at a time when people are losing faith in organized religion. This year's He Gets Us ads are focused on loving your neighbor, which is, of course, a core Christian teaching. 
Now, theirs wasn't the only Super Bowl ads that featured religion this year. In addition to the He Gets Us spots, there was an ad for Hollow, a popular Catholic prayer app, and an ad for a new campaign called Stand Up to Jewish Hate, aimed at confronting the rise of anti-Semitism. Alex Joan is the CEO and co-founder of Hallow. By the way, this is a different Alex Jones than the one that's been in the news for his uh, leadership of InfoWars. He said that the timing of the Super Bowl ad, which was uh, played on the Sunday just before Ash Wednesday, was just too good to pass up. The app is currently promoting a campaign to get people to pray every day during the season of Lent, which begins on Ash Wednesday and leads all the way to Easter. Now, the anti-Semitic ad, uh, sponsored by the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism, was founded by New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, and it featured Clarence Jones, an attorney who was also a speechwriter and advisor to Martin Luther King Jr. A clip of the ad features Jones in his office writing on a legal pad as a photo of King looks on. Let's move on to our next story. What is it about? Well, Abilene Christian University last week uh, reaffirmed that its policy stating that God intends for sexual relations to be reserved for marriage between one man and one between a man and a woman, and affirms the full humanity and dignity of all human beings, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, how did this whole issue come to light at ACU? The debate has been going on since November when the 6,000 student university hosted what it dubbed Holy Sexuality Week, a week-long series of chapel messages as an intentional focus on what the Bible teaches about human sexuality, marriage, and relationships. In one of the presentations at their Moody Coliseum, guest speaker Christopher Yuan, who is the author of the book Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, reflected on his past life as a sexually active gay man. And how did the students respond? Well, alumni formed a group called Wildcats for Inclusion, and they voiced concerns about the safety and welfare of LGBTQ plus students and the academic freedoms of faculty and staff regarding sexuality and identity. Wildcats for Inclusion also collected nearly 2,700 signatures from alumni, parents, students, and current and former faculty members. But the school is holding its ground. It is. Uh, Kenneth Pribus, an ACU journalism professor, wrote this in the school newspaper. Abilene Christian University has always held faculty, staff, and students to a particular code of conduct. And it has done so because we are a Christian community, one that strives to create an environment where we honor God with our lives, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. We often fail, but when we do, we do not redefine God's will and reinterpret his word to suit our own desires. Let's look at one more story before we take another break. What do you have? A Marion County, Tennessee grand jury has indicted Pastor David Barry this month for stealing more than $27,000 from a man with disabilities. He was charged following a joint investigation and report from the Office of the Controller of the Treasury and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Barry is currently the pastor of Praise and Worship Family Outreach Center. He's also a tax preparer and the owner of the tax service in Jasper, Tennessee. So how did he go about stealing the money? 
Well, the report says that after the disabled man requested the Social Security Administration to assign Barry as his representative payee, Barry opened a payee checking account to receive the disabled adult Social Security payments. And while in charge of the man's account, Barry misappropriated the $27,000. This includes about $16,000 in check payments made directly to his church without consent from the man with disabilities. Well, that's awful. Yeah, it is. Barry also transferred thousands of dollars from the disabled man's accounts directly into his own personal checking account. The report found that Barry misappropriated funds to pay for dental care for his wife, as well as car repairs, restaurant, gas and retail purchases, and a Super Bowl party loan. In addition, Barry named himself as the conservator in order to take over the man's pension fund of more than $300,000 and make numerous transfers from that account. Barry only gave the man with disabilities about $250 every other week while he was in control of all of his accounts. Now, how has Barry's church responded to these charges? Well, amazingly, the church has defended him in a Facebook post. Uh, The post says this, you will hear that Pastor David has been arrested. These are totally unfounded accusations. Our pastor, brother, friend, and his wife and family need everyone in the family of faith standing with him now more than ever. The enemy has been trying everything to defame and stop the promotion of the kingdom of God in our community. But Barry was charged with one count of the violation of the Computer Crimes Act, one count of theft of over $10,000, and one count of financial exploitation of an elderly or vulnerable adult. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, It's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating uh, as an independent investigator, uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Bible Study Fellowship announced this week that it will locate its headquarters to the Dallas-Fort Worth area from San Antonio, where it has been since 1980. The precise location has not yet been determined, but Holly Roberts said that the Dallas-Fort Worth area has a thriving BSF community and offers global accessibility, diverse community, and an opportunity to better collaborate with like-minded ministry partners. BSF, by the way, is an interdenominational Bible study founded in 1949. 
189, but has grown to more than 400,000 class members in 120 nations on six continents. It includes both online and in-person meetings with women, men, young adults, students, and children. And it has a pretty high rating from Ministry Watch, uh, an A transparency grade, five-star financial efficiency rating, and a donor confidence score of 84. And 2019, it received one of our Shining Light Awards, which put it in the top 5% of all the ministries in our database. But lately, the organization has had some issues. According to the most recent Form 990, that's uh, the 2022 uh, Form 990, BSF operated at about a $4 million deficit. Uh, it took in $26.5 million, but it spent more than $30 million. BSF's primary source of revenue is contributions from individual donors and those attending its classes around the world. Though I want to be quick to add, BSF maintains that it does not charge class members for participating. And what's our next story? Henry Blackaby, a pastor and author who's experiencing God, Bible study sold more than 8 million copies, has died, he was 88 years old. Ben Mandrell is the president of Lifeway Christian Resources, that was Blackaby's longtime publisher. He said that Henry Blackaby was a great man of God and minister to the body of Christ, beginning with his time as a local church pastor and continuing through his ministry as an author and Bible teacher. He was born in 1935 in British Columbia, and he served as a pastor in California when he was asked to return to his native Canada and assist a small church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, that was on the verge of closing. And Blackaby, with the help of co-author Claude King, would distill the lessons from that pastoral experience into the Bible study called Experiencing God. His approach to ministry was summed up by a short but memorable sentence, watch to see where God is working and join him. Blackaby was preceded in death by his wife, Marilyn. Survivors include five children and 14 grandchildren, who, by the way, will continue his ministry. And who's in our ministry spotlight this week? LifeWord Broadcast Ministries recently saw its financial efficiency rating fall from two stars to one star, which is our lowest rating. Uh, their rating dropped because their net assets uh, grew from $4.8 million to $5.5 million, and that pushed them near the bottom of uh, their rank in terms of financial efficiency among the radio TV sector in our database. Uh, the revenue for... Uh, LifeWord Broadcast Ministries is about $2.4 million, but their assets now total three quarters of a million dollars. And in our rating system, whenever you accumulate assets to that extent and not actually spend that money on ministry, it's going to hurt you in our um, in our financial efficiency ratings. LifeWord, by the way, is the media arm of the Baptist Missionary Association of America. It produces gospel-themed blogs and online radio broadcasts in addition to English it also broadcasts in 30 languages around the world. And who did Christina highlight in her roundup of ministries making a difference? Well, one of them is New Harvest Assembly of God in Frankfort, Kentucky. They hold Sunday afternoon services for adults with disabilities. Uh, each week, Scott Bowman, the pastor, drives to Stewart Home and School, where 300 men and women with intellectual disabilities or help organize and run the service, choosing worship songs, leading prayers, and even serving communion. In 2023, uh, also want to mention World Missionary Press. They sent about 100 
120,000 pieces of Christian literature to Australia. The resources were sent in 10-pound boxes all over the country, according to the Mission News Network, and distributed mostly to individuals who wanted to minister to people of various languages, non-English speaking, uh, such, for example, Persian, Farsi, uh, Chinese, and Arabic. World Missionary Press, by the way, gets an A transparency grade from Ministry Watch and a donor confidence score of 80, which means that you can give with confidence. And Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I wanted to mention that I was in Colorado uh, this week uh, to meet with donors and readers and for other meetings, and it was really a great time. And if you were, if I happened to run into you in Colorado, I just want to say thank you for the hospitality. The same for my friends in California. Uh, I was there last week and meeting with donors and readers of Ministry Watch and also had a chance to speak to the Colson Fellows cohort in Santa Barbara. It was really a great trip. I mentioned that because I also want to say that next week I'll be in Tennessee, and in the first week in March I'll be in Texas. If you live in those states, be on the lookout. I'll be sending you an email that uh, will invite you to some lunches that I'll be holding in those cities. Also want to mention uh, before we go, Natasha, that our donor premium for the month is Handling Allegations in a Ministry. It's a great book by Teresa Sidebotham that uh, I think every pastor, every ministry leader, every deacon and elder should have a copy of this book in their library. You know, since we've been offering that book this month, I've had a lot of people email me telling me that they don't want another copy or they don't need another copy because they've already got one and it's marked up. So I really appreciate that. that feedback. And then I've had others say, send me another one. I want more. So um, any donation this month, in the month of February, you'll get a copy of that book as our thank you. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Daniel Ritchie, Roxanne Stone, Clement Lisi, Zach Rivas, Bob Smetania, Bobby Ross Jr., Kim Roberts, Brittany Smith, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to The Religion Unplugged and The Christian Chronicle for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.